This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Okay, Lee, you know that little voice inside of you that you try to ignore but is constantly beating, beating yourself up kind of 24-7 about this, that, and the other thing at work? Yes, I wish I knew where it came from. I wish I knew how to get rid of it. I want it to go away. And our guest today is going to teach us exactly how to do that. This is one you don't want to miss, everyone. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. But my inner voice says I'm not worthy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, we want to know how to fix this because I, I have a really bad problem with this and I'm not afraid to... to uh, admit it. And so Tiffany Toombs is here. Hi, Tiffany. Hello. How are you? Thank you for coming. You're going to rescue us from this horrible habit that I think most of us have. Everybody, Tiffany is a mindset coach who specializes in helping people rewire their brains to overcome self-sabotage and limiting beliefs, both allowing them to experience success in every area of life. She's a master practitioner and trainer in neuro-linguistic programming and matrix therapies and loves watching her clients transform being stuck with emotional trauma, depression, self-sabotage, and disempowering language and helping us all get free from that. And like Lee, you were saying, manage your reports who are doing it to themselves as well. So Great. Stop, stop being your own worst enemy and then also help, <laughs> uh, help uh, others from doing the same. Yes. Lead by example. Exactly. Behavior so modeling, you, right? <laughs> where do you want to start with this? I mean, why do we do this to ourselves? So I think... It becomes an ingrained behavior in society. So the bulk of the belief systems that we have, so that like worthiness stuff that you were talking about, Lee, that is planted in our brain between the ages of zero and seven. So those seeds, I like to think of the unconscious mind like a garden. Those seeds were planted, you know, when when you didn't really have a a strong understanding of what the world was mm -hmm. during a time in your life where you were very self-referential, meaning everything that happened in your life, you blamed yourself or you, you took it to mean that it was happening because of you. And so during that time, we are essentially a sponge and the actions speak louder than words. So as parents, people need to be super aware of how their negative self-talk and about how they talk about themselves and treat themselves when they have young children, specifically between zero and seven, what they're teaching their children to do. And so if I think about it, growing up, I saw a lot of things around how, especially as a woman, it's not, it's not okay to feel comfortable in your body. You always have to be talking about some role of fat that you have somewhere, right? Or you always need to be on a diet or you always need to be wanting to look differently. If you have straight hair, you wish that you had curly. If you had curly, you wish you had straight. If, you know, if you have a small chest, you want a bigger one and, and vice versa. And so a lot of this is programmed into us from a very young age. And then we take it on to become our own inner voice. And Gary Vee actually has a really great quote. 
where he says that that inner voice that's beating you up, that's not actually your voice. Mm -hmm. It's somebody else's voice that's been programmed into you. And then we have this part of our brain called the reticular activating system, which is like the world's most advanced GPS system or homing device. So if you are programmed with the belief that you're not worthy, every single moment of the day, you're going into that with your filters set to validating that you're not worthy. And so when we start to change our self-talk and start to work on the belief systems and start to kind of weed the garden, so to speak, then our filters open up and change and we see things differently. And so you, you've been validating, you know, if you do actually have this not worthy belief, then you've been finding ways to validate that your whole entire life because we're also programmed to always be right. So it's a very interesting, vicious circle. I, I don't, how it, but, I, but I feel like I've earned this. So it, it's like, so maybe I'm validating in a different way, but it's like that, that's where I come at it from. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, not good enough, not worthy that that's just one of the, the common beliefs that we have. Um, there's a lot of limiting beliefs around money that people have as well. Money is evil. If you want it, you're evil. Um, bad things will happen if you have money, all of that stuff. I see a lot of times people have a belief system that they need to be in struggle which is where the self-sabotage comes in. They have to be mm. in struggle in order to be motivated or in order to be productive. The and struggle is, where, is real. Absolutely. And then, you know, and then we see people like waiting until the last minute procrastinating because they need that looming deadline or they need the struggle to push them to, to take action and to do something. And so I have a number of clients that I work with who they'll build their business up to a certain point and it's like they're halfway up the mountain and then they'll just throw themselves back down to the bottom and completely kind of burn everything down and, and totally self-sabotage so that they have to start again because that's the only place that they can find the motivation or the creativity or the drive or whatever it is to, to produce. So this manifests itself in various ways. The way that Lee says it manifests for him is not all the way it is for me. For me, I actually went into family therapy um, because my parents programmed us that no matter what we did, we were on this constant ladder that you would never get off of. So mm. like the minute you got to a new television market and you market climbed, my dad would literally come visit me in my TV, TV station and look around and go, this is great, but when are you going to be in Chicago? And I just started a contract. Damn. Like, Thanks. Wow. wow. You know, so I had to get therapy to somebody said, you, you can get off the ladder, but, but uh, here's my question. I said, if I get off the ladder, then I don't know how to keep going forward in a healthy way. I'm afraid to get off the ladder, but the ladder makes me miserable. So what are some of the ways that people can break the cycle and overcome self-sabotage? That's a great question. So it, it starts with recognizing like what their specific pattern is and the way that self-sabotage manifests for them. So as you said, you know, it's different for both of you. I have one client who came to work with me and he had this fear, like this intense, like life-threatening fear of success. And when he closed his eyes and pictured success, he literally saw like a man swinging an axe at his head. Oh my goodness. So for him, it was like literally a life-threatening thing. Mm. And when we really dug deep and scaled it all back to the very like core root of the problem, what we found was that he had never 
found that connection was safe. His mom was a narcissist. His dad was emotionally unavailable. And every time throughout his life that he actually connected with somebody, there was a negative consequence that came with that. And so what happened was he actually manifested an autoimmune disease that left him totally fatigued and barely productive, like could produce enough to pay the bills and maybe have a tiny bit left over after, but not so much that he could actually go out and connect with people or network with people because then he would have to face the ultimate rejection and the discomfort or the pain that came with connection that he believed is, you know, resulted from all connection. So his fear of success was really, well, if I start being successful, then I'm going to have money and I don't have a reason to not go out and meet new people. And so he not only had like this life threatening fear of success, but he also manifested an autoimmune disease just as like a kind of a backup self-sabotage strategy so that <laughs> wow, the insurance connect. policy against success. <laughs> Absolutely. And so like it never ceases to amaze me the creative ways that our unconscious mind comes up with to manifest self-sabotage. So we have to be aware of and willing to dig in and to dig deep because oftentimes people will come to me with, here's my problem. I procrastinate or you know, I date the wrong people or, or whatever it is, but that's never really the actual problem. So we have to be willing to kind of dig into the mud and figure out what, where is this actually coming from? And it typically comes from one of three fears, either a fear of not being able to connect. So being rejected from the tribe, so to speak, uh, fear of not being worthy or not being good enough. And then a fear of not being safe. Those are kind of the three dominant fears that we have to overcome. Some people have one, some people have two, some people have a combination of all three. So we have to realize what our core issue is, and then we need to reframe the very first event that created that fear. So, so for me, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Tiffany. I was going to say, for me, for example, I, I've had a lot of, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, that kind of combination. And between the ages of zero and seven, I was actually abused by my stepmom. Like mm. to the point of she would drive me to the outskirts of town and leave me for dead on the side of the road. And so during those times, I thought that the only reason that somebody would do that to another human being was because, you know, I wasn't good enough. Now I know that my stepmom, who is a domestic violence survivor herself, was broken. And she you know, the weekends that I was with her and my biological dad meant she got less attention. And so the only resource or the only thing that she knew how to do was kind of lash out at me and take her insecurities out on me. So since I've been able to reframe that first event, the not good enough has disappeared. You were kind of like the runt of the litter there. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't the, 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 the feeling worthy. It was always, um, you know, I could never be caught not being busy. You know, if you're, if you got time enough to lean, you got time to clean, you know, it's like, it's always, so it's like if my dad came around or whatever and I wasn't, I wasn't working or whatever, he'd give me a job to do. So, mm-hmm. and that, that's my issue is that's, it's carried forward in effect. It's like, I don't know how to relax. It's like vacation for two weeks. What's that? I was like, I have no idea. So and that's, that's interesting. 
Yeah, and that's a common belief. I mean, that was instilled in my dad from my grandpa as well, like that, you know, growing up, we heard if you're getting out of bed at 8 a.m., then you've wasted half the day, which it's funny now that, you know, my dad's a grandpa and he sleeps in until like 10 o'clock. And I'm like, what happened to this? Like no laying in bed all day that, that we didn't get when we were teenagers. So I think there's a shift happening in society, which is really good right now. It's, it's making a lot of people really uncomfortable. Ultimately, when we get through the shift, it will be really empowering for people to see that, you know, we've kind of been lied to by society, by, and without getting all conspiracy theory, there are people who have profited from our fears, from our limiting beliefs and our self-sabotage and recognizing that sometimes some of the things that we've been told or that we've been taught repeatedly are not necessarily in our best interests, mm-hmm. right? We, we actually need to deal with our emotions in order for them to go away as opposed to taking a pill and just further suppressing whatever it is. So the the best ways, like I said, to to reframe that self-sabotage is to figure out how it's showing up for you and to know that it's kind of like a little kid, like, you know, they may steal candy from their Halloween bag one way and then you catch them doing it that way and you move it, but they'll find a different way to show up. So Mm -hmm we really have to get to the root of the belief that's creating the self-sabotaging behavior in order for it to totally disappear. So this might be actually easier for some people, some managers or whatever who have limited self-awareness as far as helping others determine where their gremlins live and and what they are. And and do you have any advice for for managers in helping their subordinates, their direct reports uh, deal with negative self-talk of their own? So, yeah. So we, we need to really, it's always easier to see in other people, firstly. Um, it's always harder, even even with all the information that I have, like when things come up for me, I'm like, ah, really, I just, I don't want to look at this. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. So patience and understanding and compassion are huge in helping other people work through these things. Um, it can be annoying to see their pattern and even to know that they're aware of the pattern and them not changing it. And so it also requires the managers to, to build a strong rapport and a, a strong relationship with the employees so that they can have those frank conversations and say, hey, look, you've done, you know, you've gone to this place again. You, you're self-sabotaging right now and we need to come out of it. And then lead by example. I mean, within a workplace, changing the language that you allow to be used, as in the words that you use. Um, within my company, we, we don't use the word try. Um, when my assistant first started with me, I'm pretty sure I annoyed the crap out of her because she'd be like, I'll try and do this. And I was like, we don't use that word. Let's reframe that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But now, but now they catch themselves. Right. And so understanding that if we use language of a victim or if we make the excuses and the justifications or we go into a place of beating ourselves up, which a lot of people think is taking responsibility, but it's, it's not, it's still keeping us hindered in some way that when we make those kind of broad changes to the culture that creates an environment of growth for everyone. What are say like the top three disempowering phrases that 
are most commonly used. Do you have an idea of that or like, just yeah. don't ever say this. <laughs> yeah. So That's the word try, <laughs> the, the, the word try is. Oh, try. Oh, yeah. Wow. So the word try actually means a feeble attempt. And so when somebody says, I'll try and do something, they've already given themselves an excuse or a reason to fail. Right? So if I say, look, I'll try and hop on this podcast with you guys today and I don't show up and, and you email me and you're like, hey, we were waiting for you, then I can just say, well, I, I didn't guarantee. I didn't commit to being there. I just said I would try. I'm, uh, I'm running an event this week and one of my speakers messaged me today and said, I'll most likely be there. And I was like, no, no, no you're on the schedule. Like I need to know if I need to replace you right now. Like, mm -hmm. There's no, you know, I'll try and show up and speak on stage for you. It's I will be there. Or I won't. So when people try, they don't commit. And so we either want them to commit to doing or commit to not doing right. If there's no way that they can meet that deadline, just say it. It's going to be easier for everyone in the long run. Yep. Sounds good. So try is one of them. What's a couple more? So another one that's interesting is the word not. Our unconscious mind is unable to process the word not. So we, when we communicate to ourselves, that reticular activating system I talked about gets a picture. So if I was to say to you, don't think of a purple frog, what picture do you have in your head? A purple, a purple frog. frog. <laughs> exactly. So It's like I'm on the golf course. It's like, do not hit that tree right over there. And I, yeah. my golly, that's exactly where the ball goes. Yeah. It, like I used to, when I go golfing with my husband, I'd be like, you know, if you park the cart like too close to me, I'm, I'm going to hit you with the ball because that's what I'm focused on right now. So a lot of people do this unintentionally, whether it's in the workplace or even at home, you know, parents don't spill on the carpet or you know, don't miss out on this opportunity. Mm -hmm. What you just suggested to the unconscious mind, which is the part of the brain that's going to take action, is to spill on the carpet and to miss this opportunity. We, we don't want to completely cut out the word not, though, because we can use it in a positive way. If somebody comes to me and they say, this is really hard to do, it's really hard to change my language, it's hard to get rid of the word try, then if I say to them, no, it's easy, they're just going to say, you don't understand me. I've just broken rapport. They have no reason to listen to me anymore. Instead, if I say, look, it's not easy to remove the word try from your vocabulary. And because you're aware of it now, you'll be more aware of the times that you say it so that you can remove it. I can embed the suggestion in the unconscious mind that it's easy. Consciously, I'm still saying the same thing, hard, not easy, but unconsciously, I've just said it's easy. And I lead them to you're going to be more aware of the times that you say it now. So we just want to be aware of the context that we're using the word not in. And, and, and don't is a form of, of, of not. That's do not. Do not. So, right? Yeah. And, and can't. Yeah. yeah. And any derivative with not. And then the last one I would say to remove from your vocabulary is the word hope. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, but you know, that's such a positive word, except it still takes your power away. It's not if a strategy. No, exactly. If I say, I hope a lot of people listen to this podcast, then firstly, I'm, you know, I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to send it out. I'm just going to sit there. It's like expecting to win the lotto, but not buying a lottery ticket. Like you have to be in it to win yeah. it. And when you're hoping, mm -hmm. you don't have any power. You've given your power away to someone or something else. So those would be the top words I would say to get rid of. Well, it's bluelotusmind.com is the name of your company. This has been a jam-packed episode with lots of great tips, Tiffany. Um, for people who want to reach out to you, how would you like to be contacted? 
If you go through my website, there is a contact form on there. I also have a ton of content on Facebook, which is just facebook.com forward slash blue lotus mind. Um, but I have a lot of free videos on there talking about mindset tips and, and how to rewire your own mind. And I really loved what we, what we said earlier in the, in the podcast about uh, behavior modeling, about and the manager really has to go first because if, if we can't do it ourselves and we have no credibility to be able to help other people do it themselves. Absolutely. If you, if you think of the, the manager or the boss as like the energetic or the spiritual parental figure in the business place, everyone else looks to what the manager does. And it's just like a kid looking to their parents. Like, you know, the whole do what I say and not what I do thing, it never works with human behavior. People are going to model the behavior that you use. So if the boss is always slacking off and leaving early, that's what the employees are going to do. So the, the manager set the tone for sure. Makes total sense. And thank you for making us feel like we're normal <laughs> with our issues that we have. Well, thanks, Tiffany, for coming. We appreciate it. And uh, everybody, if you enjoyed our discussion, please tell a friend about our show, a friend, a colleague, um, or a family member. It helps us uh, also if you subscribe, rate, and review this. Give us five stars, please. That's the rating we really would love. Um, and we appreciate you listening, and we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.